The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Morning, everyone. Um, happy Mother's Day. Wanted to echo that uh, thought as well. Um, Betty, if you want to keep coming here when I'm gone, you can. You're welcome to. <laughs> it's, uh, it's okay. <laughs> um, as I said last week, we've started into a series in Jeremiah. We, we're not going to cover the whole book, but we're just kind of taking uh, snapshots in different parts of what happened in the life of this prophet. And so uh, last week we looked at Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And so this morning we want to look at verses 6 to 19, the rest of the chapter. Uh, but for the scripture reading, I'd like to read the whole chapter so that there's some continuity because it really is uh, one whole story of the calling of Jeremiah. And so if you have your Bibles with you, would invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. Otherwise, you could look at the uh, text up here on the screen. And it reads, The word of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. And every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls, also all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the work of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, And bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. 
They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this calling of your prophet Jeremiah and see how we responded to it, open our eyes to see what you are asking of us in our own lives. Help us to see the purpose of our life, the purpose for which you have called us out of darkness to live in your light. And grant to us the faith to step into that purpose with courage as you desire. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I mentioned last week as we started off the series that this guy Jeremiah, he, he was a prophet during one of the darkest periods in Israel's history. Um, after hundreds of years of warnings of one prophet after another um, to turn back to God and repent, um, the Israelites refused in their stubborn pride. They continued in their sin until finally the time of judgment had arrived. And Jeremiah was called as God's prophet to declare that judgment. And he would even live to see the horrors of that judgment with his own eyes. Last week, we looked at Jeremiah's calling in verses 1 to 5. And I mentioned how often when we try to understand our lives, we look to our past to try to make sense of how we became the people that we became. We think about the parents who raised us, the challenges that we had to overcome, We think about traumas and abuse that we've suffered. And we sort of put together all the pieces of our backstory in order to try to understand ourselves and say, this is what has shaped me to be the person that I've become. But when we look at the calling of Jeremiah, what we see is that all of us do have a backstory. We know the father of Jeremiah and that he came from this small village of Anathoth. But what strikes us in this first opening of this book is that despite all of that, the focus isn't on that heritage. Instead, what we see here is that more important than all of that other backstory is the fact that God had a plan for Jeremiah and that he had set him apart even when he was in his mother's womb and he was being given by God as a gift to the nations to serve them as his prophet. Um, I, I think this is such an important message for us because the truth is, especially in our day with the rise of modern psychology, there is just so many of us who live trapped by the past, you know, who live under the bondage of look at what my parents did to me and look at, look at the things that I had to go through. And I don't want to minimize those things. There are valid issues there. But there is also this place of faith to see that even in all that I went through, God was there and he had a purpose and he was doing something and he was redeeming even all of that brokenness for his purposes. At the core of God's purpose for us is to give us in service to others for his glory. And I I mentioned that in last week's message that I think a lot of us resist this truth. I think we find it hard to accept this calling because The truth is most of us, even as Christians, can be very oriented around getting and taking rather than giving of ourselves. Um, Whether it's a a co-worker in need of help or a child with special needs or a friend going through a life crisis, I think God brings these needs into our life 
so that he can use us to meet those needs of others. But, you know, here's the truth. is often when those needs come to our doorstep, we push them away. We see them as unwanted intrusions. It breaks into the carefully guarded boundary lines that we draw for ourselves in our personal space and say, I don't want to get involved with that. Don't ask me to get involved with this. But we have to understand that throughout the pages, it's not just Jeremiah, but over and over again in these callings that God makes on people's lives, it's this repeated and consistent message. The whole purpose for why I saved you and rescued you is so that I could give you to these needs that exist in this world so that you can be a blessing to others and love them in my love. Um, But we don't like being burdened with other people's problems. You know, it's this sort of mentality like, I've got enough problems to worry about on my own, let alone having to shoulder other people's burdens. And that kind of selfless, sacrificial life of giving, just in truth, if we're really honest, feels overwhelming at times. God, you ask too much of me. I don't have the resources to do this. And this is the very mentality that I want to address in this message this morning. Because I think, in truth, that's exactly how Jeremiah felt when God called him. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. If you kind of do the math, we're not sure exactly how old Jeremiah was, but most likely he was like a a late teenager or maybe in his early 20s or something like that. So the truth is he was pretty young to be able to do the kind of work that God was calling to. It's not the most inspiring response, is it? But it's interesting how consistently negative the response is to God's call throughout the Bible. Almost no one rising goes, here I am, God, use me. Almost everyone complains and bickers and whines when God calls them. All Jeremiah can focus on is his young age and his inexperience. He feels utterly unqualified for the work that God has called him to. So he says, you got the wrong guy, God. I, I, how can I be the, the single prophet that's going to stand against the nation, against kings, and speak your word fearlessly? I can't do it, God. Uh, it reminds me of the days when I was serving as an assistant pastor at Faith Alliance Bible Church in in Des Plaines. Uh, I was in seminary at the time, and, you know, I didn't even want a ministry position because I was actually working as a full-time doctor at the time. And I was just looking for a part, you know, just to serve it, just to attend a church while I was in seminary. But somehow the pastor talked me into coming on staff, and he told me this. He said, all I'm going to ask of you is preach every other week. That's it. That's all you have to do, no counseling, nothing else. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And then within the first year, he left. <laughs> and I was asked to be the new senior pastor of this church. And I had just turned 30, and I was still in seminary. And I was asked to lead a church where the elders had children that were almost my age. I said, how can I lead these men? <laughs> they're almost like double my age. I mean, how are they even going to respect me as this young kid? I, I felt so inadequate, so overwhelmed by that responsibility. And every fiber in my being wanted to say no. Uh, but I ended up saying yes, you know. And it was one of the most amazing seasons of my life, you know, where God taught me so much. Um, I think more than we are willing to admit, 
Our life choices are often driven by our fears, aren't they? It's kind of frightening how much of our destiny seems to be driven by our fears. I think the truth is we all wish that the choices we made in our lives represented courage, represented moves that were courageously towards something positive, embracing what we want to live for. But the truth is so many of our life choices seem to be driven by the avoidance of things we fear. We fear intimacy. And so we keep our friendships harmless and superficial. And we never quite enter into community with others. We fear rejection. And so rather than saying the things that we really need to say to the people in our lives, we keep silent. And we don't speak out. We fear failure. And so we never take any risks. We always choose the safest option, the easy way out. And I want to ask you that this morning. What are the fears that control your life? You know, it's interesting. During my days as a missionary in Kenya, I was invited by our mission organization to um, attend this leadership conference in the capital of Nairobi. And all of these other missionaries gathered there from all over Africa. And in one of the seminars that uh, the conference speaker was giving, he actually asked all the participants to uh, get up and to pair up with someone else and because we were going to do some type of a group exercise together. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was back in grade school, you know? And you could see in the eyes of all the participants, everyone looking nervous to see who who they would ask to pair up, you know? And I realized, like, my cheeks were getting flushed and my heart was racing because I thought about the possibility of someone rejecting me, you know, if I asked to be their partner. It's not even that, but it was the prospect of someone reluctantly saying yes that would have been such a blow to my ego that the truth is I couldn't approach anyone and ask if they would be my partner. And so instead, I just kind of moped around until someone asked me if I would be their partner. I said, oh, yes, yes. You know, and then I finally had a partner to do the exercise with. You know? it, just, it just shows our cowardice, doesn't it? We're all so afraid of things. You know, we're so afraid of rejection, so afraid of so much in life. Eugene Peterson writes this about his own life. In the neighborhood where I lived, where I was in the first grade, all the children were older than I. When we had neighborhood games and chose up sides, I was always the last one chosen. One time, it probably happened more than once, but this one sticks in my memory. After everyone else had been chosen, I was left standing in the middle between the two teams. The captains argued over who was going to have to choose me. Having me, I suddenly realized, was a liability. As the argument raged between them, I went from being a zero to a minus, okay? Can you relate to these experiences? Um, Experiences like this are our worst fears realized, aren't they? Um, And the truth is, when we have enough of these experiences under our belt, we become determined never to let that happen to us again. So we go into self-protection mode, don't we? And in that sense, you can make a pretty good case that fear is a good thing. Fear is our friend because fear keeps us from failure. 
fear will protect you. But here's the point. As long as we are ruled by our fears, we can never walk into the life that God intended for us. We can't. God responds to Jeremiah's fears in verses 7 to 8. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. God tells Jeremiah in essence, Don't worry about your age or any of your other weaknesses or limitations that you're focusing on because the truth is none of that matters in light of my promise to you that I will be with you and help you in this task. I want to ask you a question, actually. Do you, of all the commandments that fill the Bible, both Old and New Testament, do you know which commandment shows up more than any other? And it's, it's by a long shot. The second place isn't even close. It might surprise you, but it's the command, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That command occurs more often in Scripture than any other command. It, in fact, occurs over 200 times, almost 300 times in the Bible. And that's what God says to Jeremiah. Don't be ruled by your fears, but put your trust in me. And it's interesting, when you look at how often this command shows up in the Bible, it is usually accompanied by a promise that God gives. Exodus 14, verse 13 to 14, it says, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 22, Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Luke chapter 12, 32 to 33. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And that same message was there for Jeremiah because in verse 9 to 10, he says to Jeremiah, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And in each of these instances that I decided, the message is the same. I will meet all of your insecurities and your inadequacies with my sufficiency. Whether it's an opportunity to serve at church or whether it's an opportunity to witness to a coworker. The message of God is the same. Don't succumb to your fears because I am with you. And whatever the hang-ups you have when you look in the mirror, don't worry because I will be with you. You don't have to worry about every little detail, how it's all going to work out. Because all you have to know is I am by your side. And with that, that's enough. It's interesting, after that, God says to him, Jeremiah, what do you see? And we're not sure if this was a supernatural vision, like a dream state or something like that, or if he was just literally outside and God asked Jeremiah, what do you see in front of you? We're not sure. But regardless of which one it was, Jeremiah tells God the first thing he sees. 
And he says, I see an almond blossom. And then in verses 11 to 12, this is what God says. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, uh, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he said, I see an almond branch. And the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Now, there is a, a play on words here that we miss in the English translation that is there in the Hebrew. Okay? The original Hebrew, that Hebrew word for almond is the word shaked. And the word for watching is the Hebrew word that sounds almost identical except for one vowel is shoked. So instead, what, what God is saying is this. Jeremiah says, I see a shaked. And God says, I am shoked over my words. In other words, this is what God is saying. The almond tree was the first tree to blossom after the cold winter was done and spring was coming. It would beat all the other plants. And so in a way, the almond blossom is like a promise of something that is a forerunner that comes first, anticipating all the other blooms that are going to happen a little later. And in essence, what God is telling Jeremiah is this. The words I'm going to put in your mouth, no one else is going to be saying them. There were all kinds of false prophets in the land that were basically saying exactly what everyone wanted to hear. And he's saying, Jeremiah, you're going to be a naysayer. You're going to be the one that's saying everything that no one else is saying. And the truth is you're going to feel like a fool and everyone's going to hate you. You're going to say messages that no one wants to hear. And basically it's like I'm going to stick you out there and you're going to be out there on a limb by yourself. But he says, persevere and don't give up because it's not going to happen right away, but wait for me because I am watching and in the right time, I'm going to fulfill everything that you said. So take heart, Jeremiah, and don't give up. Say everything that I tell you to say. A second time, God says to Jeremiah, what do you see? This time, Jeremiah tells God, I see a boiling pot tilting in a southerly direction from the north. It looks like it's going to spill over. And verses 14 to 16, God says, Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls, all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the work of their own hands. In essence, God is saying, Jeremiah, this is your message to the people. Judgment is at our gates. And it's going to be terrifying. And there is nothing you're going to be able to do to stop it. Because of your stubborn pride and refusal to repent, the day of judgment has finally come. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a bit of a lump in Jeremiah's throat when he was hearing this. Oh, that's the message that I get to preach for the next 40 years? Great. <laughs> Here's the thing. I think this command that God gives, do not fear, occurs so often in the Bible because the things that God calls us to do often seem so overwhelming and more than we can handle. And when we live controlled by our fears, more often than not, we choose the safer option the path of least resistance. 
But if we want to make a difference in the world, if we really want to be used by God, it's going to require His strength and enablement. And I mentioned this last week. You don't have to be a frontier missionary in outer Mongolia to experience this radical life of surrender. It may be simply embracing the needs that God has laid right in front of you this day that is going to take all the courage of God to be able to embrace in your life. It's Mother's Day, and so I thought I'd share a little bit about my mother to illustrate this. Um, I was four years old when we immigrated to the United States from Korea. And my father at that time was a surgical resident. Um, So he was never home. Uh, Literally, the first five years of our time in America, he was like a shadow. Like we barely ever saw him. And so my mom was left largely to fend for herself and try to figure out how to make a life for our family in America. And I still remember um, how hard it was for her during those early years when even as a four-year-old, I knew something was really wrong when I would see her sitting in a dark room just crying by herself because my dad was at the hospital. And she had no friends. She didn't know how to speak English at that time. And she was struggling. I still remember her trying to learn how to cook American food. You know, and all the failed experiments and us as guinea pigs having to eat all of that stuff. And, and uh, then we moved to Chicago after living in Portland, Oregon for a year. And uh, we didn't have enough money to buy clothes. And so she actually bought a secondhand sewing machine and taught herself how to sew. And we lived in the apartments right by Lutheran General Hospital because that's where my dad was doing his residency. And because we couldn't afford bus fare, we walked six miles to go to Golf Mill, to go to Joanne Fabrics, to buy fabrics in order to, so she could sew our clothes. And I remember as a kindergarten kid how hard that walk was. You know? After mile two, like my calves were like cramping, and I was whining the whole way. And I mean, to her Christ, she never yelled at me. Always just so encouraging and loving thing. Come on, Steve, it's okay. We're almost there. It's not all, you're lying. <laughs> like you always say that, it's like crying all the way to Golf Mill. Finally get there, buy the fabric, and come home. She signed up for every committee and went to every school activity, even though her English was so poor because she wanted to support us. And I saw how uncomfortable she was there with all the other American moms, not being able to socialize with them. But she did it for us. Then there's this picture. This is the reason why I have this picture up here is because as a junior in high school, I went to Africa on my first mission trip, which would lead to my calling as a missionary out of that trip. It was through an organization called Teen Missions International, and they gather thousands of students from all over the country in this place in Florida called the Lord's Boot Camp for two weeks of intensive training before they ship you off to 56 different countries around the world. And I got there, and I was dying. (laughs) It was the most miserable time of my life. Uh, We had to do nonstop Bible studies. We were learning how to make buildings and do construction. 
We were doing running obstacle courses. They were barely giving us enough food to eat, and I was losing weight like crazy. It was 100 degrees and humid every single day in this jungle. They didn't let us bathe. It was like, I thought it was like a prison camp, you know? And, um, and the thing is, like, they don't even, like, let you write letters home or communicate with home until after the first week is done. And then finally, midway, they let you write one letter home. That's it. And it's interesting, at the end of that two weeks, they have this big ceremony under this big tent. And uh, no matter how much you scream and yell as a teenager, they force you to stay there. <laughs> but on the final commissioning night, if you, they have this candle lighting ceremony where every person lights a candle. And this is what they say, the, the, run, the people who run that mission say, listen, if you don't light that candle, on commissioning night, we're not going to send you to the field. We're going to send you home, even if your parents tell you, send you. And every year, there's always a couple students who don't light their candle and just go home. And so I wrote the most terrifying letter to my parents saying, I made the biggest mistake of my life. I feel like I'm trapped in a prison, and I think these people are cult members, (laughs) and I said, this is the worst experience of my life. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I told my mom this. I said, I'm not lighting my candle, so get me a ticket home because <laughs> I'm not going to make it. The next day, <laughs> my mom got in her car and drove from Chicago to Florida to comfort me and say, you are lighting the candle, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and saying, you told me that this is God's call on your life. And I know it's hard right now, Steve. And I know you want to give up. But God has a plan in all this. So light your candle and go to Africa. You know? Um, Here's the thing. is This is just a sample of some of the stories of my mother. And I thought, as I think back to my childhood, I thought of how many times she could have taken the easy way out. You know, sort of coasted. Sort of taken shortcuts as a mother. And as I reflect on that, I realize, like, she never did. She never did. And I think about how much she sacrificed to help me become the man that I became. And you can say, oh, yeah, mother's love. You know, it's instinct. You know, even animals have it. Maternal instinct. But I want to say it was her faith in God that enabled her to be this kind of mother. Because I don't know how many times she would talk to me about God and what it means to follow him and love him. And every time she saw me going astray, she would pull me back and tell me about God's love. I think it was ultimately her faith that enabled her to be the kind of mother that she became. I want to say this. The life that we are called to live following Jesus is not only difficult, it's impossible when we try to do it by our own strength. I want to say this. If you feel that you're at the end of your rope and you just want to say, I can't do it, maybe you ought to say that because maybe that's going to be the first step in a journey of letting God work through you and understanding what it means to truly serve by his strength. Andrew Purvis talks about the struggle that many pastors have of learning this secret of what it means to serve by God's strength as he writes, I can't do this. I can't convert them. I can't heal them. I can't give them hope or make them happy. 
I can't bury any more babies, listen to any more divorcing couples, conduct marriages for any more pregnant girls, listen to any more tales of cancer diagnoses, conduct funerals for any more friends, or preach the Beatitudes again. The yoke is too heavy, and the burden is too great to bear. Maybe I also discover that I am heavy. Uh, I'm just plain bored. My knees are buckling under the weight of my obligations. This is the death of my ministry. From now on, faithful ministry, God-glorifying, spirit-empowered, world-transforming, and kingdom-announcing ministry will be possible only on some other basis. Our new basis for ministry is a sharing in the continuing ministry of Jesus. For the church and her ministry can be found only where Jesus has already showed up. He has to carry the load and to do the job of saving people, for I am no longer capable or available. I have discovered a terrible limiting truth about myself. I am not the Messiah. Amen? (laughs) That's what God promised to Jeremiah. I will meet your every need. Verses 18 to 19. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls. Against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Let's pray.